J.M. in the A.M. Canton Tunnel Hurstic Avinu on this uh, Yom Hazikaron, Israel Memorial Day. Uh, we remember the 23,447 who have fallen in wars and as victims of terror in the state of Israel, protecting our holy land and allowing us around the world, not only in Israel, to live in peace and freedom. I mentioned that uh, Ron Weinrich would be visiting us this morning veteran Israeli soldier who has seen the battlefield up close, wounded in the Second Lebanon War, and visiting us this morning here at JM in the AM. Earlier, as I mentioned, the uh, words written by General Avigdor Kaolani, that beautiful duet that we heard, that was Ron, whose uh, voice was uh, a part of that selection. Um, Sergeant First Class Ron Weinrich, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning. Welcome. Can't thank you enough for being here this morning. Why are you in the United States? I'm actually, uh, I live in Los Angeles. I've been living ah. in L.A. for the last, uh, I'd say, three and a half years. Okay. Um, I've come to, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of, uh, since my injury uh, in 2006, after the war, then I found myself, I had this calling of, you know, speaking for Israel. And saying, you know, telling the story of Israel to uh, people in the United States, and I started doing a lot of that, you know, touring around the United States and doing those uh, different engagements. And um, and at some point, you know, I had a lot of fulfillment from it in the beginning. And as time went on, I kind of felt like I was uh, preaching to the choir, and I fe- I saw a very big disconnect between uh, the enthusiasm and how much people care about Israel among. If I generalize right now among people like 40 and above, mm-hmm. and um, and the youth, I just saw a youth that is completely disconnected. You know, once in a while, you know, once in a while, a father would drag his kids over to hear me talk somewhere, and their eyes would be totally glazed over. You know, they couldn't care less about what I had to say, and um, and this is something that really bothered me. And being a, I've been a, you know, I've been an amateur musician my whole life, and at some point in Israel, I turned into a pro musician, uh, and it became part of my life and part of my professional career. And um, and I found that through music, the youth just lit up in one second. And if I could sing a song about my experiences and tell, instead of you know telling a story or something, then it would be a lot more impactful and powerful to the youth, and really connect them to where they're from, what their identity is, if they weren't connected. And, um, and that's what's been happening? And that's what's been happening. And, and you know, and, and truly, um, at some point, I decided to leave my career in Israel, my music career there, because I had a dream that I wanted to make that happen. I really wanted to touch and move and inspire people, um, you know, in the big league. And that's what brought me to Los Angeles. So that's what I've been doing since. On the big stage, huh? Yeah. Um, you, you're originally from where? So I was born in Israel, um, at about a year old, my parents came over to, uh, move to Long Island, and I grew up on Long Island, New Jersey, moving around a lot between the two until I was about 15 and a half, then we moved back to Israel, um, and, uh, I spent, I think, the next 14 years of my life there, and then, uh, back here. So as a teenager... Who knows that uh, you're heading back to Israel and that you know the army is going to be part of your future? But after having lived here in this environment for a decade and a half, what were your feelings like? So, 
first of all, my parents are Israelis, right? And so I had, and and uh, and also uh, my father was a big Zionist, and you know, and and my mother as well. So I came from a home that was very, you know, with with a very strong Israel and very strong Jewish identity, um, and. You know, had I lived the American childhood here, of course, but then when going to Israel, it really opened up a new world for me. First of all, I was really excited about going back to Israel because I loved Israel, and um, and also going back to Israel just um, it opened up a whole new world. You know, a whole new world, a whole new world of uh, of um, of freedom that here in America, you know, is isn't really possible. Here in America, you got you need your parents to drive you around everywhere. You know, they're all, all kinds of cultural things which which are very different from Israel. Israel it's, you know, down and dirty and real in your face and everything. Everybody knows everybody. So it's uh so it's something that I really loved. And coming up, you know, into high school and then knowing what's coming next with the military was something that I was really looking forward to. So I knew that I wanted to do something that's very impactful in the military. So with a degree of excitement you enter the army. Yeah. With a lot of excitement. Oh, yes, with a lot of excitement. And your colleagues, your classmates, also the same level of excitement? Not necessarily. No, no, no. no the um, so generally speaking, um, generally speaking, you know, only about a tenth of the IDF is actually are actually combat right. soldiers, and and generally speaking, you know, the for uh, for most of the units in the IDF, the motivation is very low. Like, you know, people don't like getting yelled at and kicked around and uh, told what to do. Um, and especially the unit that I went to, which is the tank, uh, the armor corps, which is tanks pretty much. It's not known as for, for being a unit that has very high motivation for people to go to, even though I asked to go to that one. So, so I was just, you know, cloud nine. I was very happy that I was there. Right. Yeah, and I was also very open-minded. Um, open-minded because when I when you enter the military, you have no clue what you're getting into. With all the people that'll tell you stories, you know, about and all you know, you, even if you have an older brother that'll tell you what it's like, you really don't know it until until you're in it. How long after you're in the army are you? Do you find yourself in the 2006 Lebanon War? Two years. Yeah. So two years after, from my recruitment, within a year, I became a tank commander. I started off becoming a uh, tank gunner, America of Mark Forts. Uh, is we for whoever doesn't know, then uh, Israel has the, mo- the world's most advanced tank, and it's a uh, it's a tank that uh, was that was designed and manufactured in Israel, so it's exclusive to Israel, best tank in the world, and uh, I had the privilege of becoming a gunner for that tank, and uh, later on got uh, the bigger privilege of becoming a tank commander for that tank, mm-hmm. and um, and. Uh, with yeah, after the, in the second year, I found myself, you know, Gilad, Gilad Shalit was kidnapped. Um, then there was the the whole uh, ordeal in the in the north on the Lebanese border with uh, uh, Regev and Goldwasser, and um, and that's when it just started. It slippery slope from there on. Yeah. Um, when you and today is of course Yom Hazikaron, Israel Memorial Day, and uh, we keep saying that the soldiers of the state of Israel that have given their lives over the last 68 plus years, because obviously even before the state people gave their lives for what, what the future would bring, uh, we keep emphasizing that they have been uh, at the forefront of defending the land, defending the state, and really I believe, and I think others say this, defending the ability for us to live as Jews in peace and freedom around the world, frankly. Is, is yeah. this is this an attitude 
that quickly seeps into the mind of a young soldier? Or if I would say this to young soldiers who are just in the army for a month or two, they would not understand what I mean by that. Just to just to clarify, you're you're asking if that if if you were to ask a young soldier if they understand the magnitude of their assignment, of what they're doing, of what they've just embarked on. That's a great question. I would say general. Uh, if I generalize, the answer is no. They don't understand the magnitude of it. It's um, you know, there's in in the for for the religious guys. Um, we, you know, it really depends what kind of like what kind of home you come from. Mm. You have the you have all the kids that live in the all the guys that live in the kibbutzim, uh, and they are very, you know, there's a there's a whole culture in the kibbutz that you know you go to the military and you go to be a combat guy and that whole thing and that you do it in order to maintain Israel. And for the religious guys, of course, you know, goes without saying for for the uh, for you know especially in the settlements. Uh, they are additional extremely gung ho. You know, mm-hmm. the, like they're here to defend. It has, has nothing to do with them. They are here to defend Israel. And um, but again, you know, we have we have this melting pot of people. You know, different people from different backgrounds from all over the country. And um, and uh, you know, one of one of the main things, for example, when I was a commander, and I, I used to be a a boot camp a boot camp drill sergeant. And um, that was one of the main challenges. You get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of amazing guys, and you get a lot of guys that shouldn't even be combat, and you get, you know, and everything in between. And somehow we need to turn them into a cohesive unit. Where, um, and, you know, the truth is that even during war, they're, they're, you know, so, uh, man, many times we'd think that during a war, you know, everybody would kind of uh, be motivated, be motivated, and and keep their mouths shut and right. do what they have to do, but that's far from the truth. Uh, 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 staff, uh, Sergeant rather, Sergeant First Class Ron Weinrich is here in our studio. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County. It's so at ninety one point nine on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Uh, I'm somewhat flustered this morning. Usually that's the case when I'm sitting in front of a Jewish hero, frankly. Um, can you, there's so many things I want to ask you. Can, can you. can you understand or explain, um, and I think you're the right person to ask because of your history of living in the United States for so long and knowing our culture and knowing, obviously, the culture in Israel, can you explain the desire of teenage young men and women from this country who have never lived in Israel to go and enlist in the Israeli army or is that also mainly family related if i can explain it i can yeah. try and explain it but I, i'm pr- i'm pretty sure i like, mean you must I'm, have met many chayalim in israel who had never lived in israel before am i right yes and uh, and i think it really has to do with the strength and and Again, you know, there is a variance here, right? There's a dichotomy of, uh, you know, people that do it for different reasons. But I think, again, if I generalize, it really comes from the values that you have, you know, in your background as a child growing up and the community. If there's a very strong Jewish community that, you're, that you know, that you grow up in, then, you know, where the IDF is revered and Israel is revered and everything, is, then, then, yeah, then that, it makes a lot more sense. But I think in the absence of that, that's where... Um, you know that's where the 
breakdowns are. That's where the lack of identity. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think that's the biggest thing that we are uh, that we are going to be dealing with. Um, as you know, as in the global Jewish community, and, as, and for Israel, is I just think I'm really looking forward, and I'm seeing a huge absence of the identity um, that young people feel. That's what I, I think. That's how the BDS movement manifested, just right. a lack of identity. That's how it suddenly came up, and that's why it's so vicious and strong because it doesn't have any opposition. It doesn't. It doesn't have a natural opposition, you know, and. Um, and uh, there are many phenomenons that we see um, occurring in in the Jewish in the Jewish community around the world. Which is just um, it's because of that lack of identity. And um, you know, on occasion, even I have a couple of friends who are I used to speak. Well, I still do speak for large you know uh, Jewish organizations that do a lot of the big fundraising. Mm-hmm. And um, and every time I, I'm at one of those, you know beautiful wonderful uh huge gala events that they you know raise millions at i kind of look over and i can't help but you know notice that it's all a segment of you know again 40 and above certain amount of money that all these people have and um and i doubt that in 30 years the contributions towards the state of israel are going to be anywhere near um you know near what what's yeah. coming in today. Well, we're already seeing a lack of a, a further lack of dependence from Israel on Jews from outside the country for other reasons. I'm not saying that this is exactly the same thing. And I do believe that as you said it's going to uh, to dwindle even more. Um your thoughts when someone like myself just referred to you as a Jewish hero. What do you think when you hear that? I don't uh, it doesn't it doesn't really connect with me. I don't think uh I don't see myself as a hero um, in any way. Uh, it's just something that you know. It's something that has to be done. It's something that we do. It's something that I. It's something that I signed up for. The heroes are actually uh, the, the he- going going and doing what you know what I did is something that I signed up for and I went and I did because I wanted to. And the heroes, uh, the heroes do something that's extremely courageous. That's what I. That's what I think. Like I know a few friends of mine who are uh, not alive right now, and a few of them who are alive right now, who they are heroes. They're very, very, very courageous. But people. I read about the nature of the battle where you were injured. It, it does sound like a heroic story. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, there's nothing. There was nothing uh, particularly heroic in in, my, in the story of my injury. There was yeah. nothing that was heroic about it. There was, you know, there was drama in it, and there was, uh, and there was, uh, you know, uh, ult- you know, ultimately, there was a, uh, there were a few decisions that I made that I could have made differently, and uh, that may have uh, resulted in me not being injured, but. Um, I decided to not make the you know I just I decided to go the course that I went because uh um because I wanted to keep my crew safe myself and my crew safe and um at the end of the day it resulted in my injury but that's you know it's uh it's actually something that I can tell you I can safely say that I I, I never felt any regret about I never felt anything, you know, nothing ever arose out of that. What can you tell us, and it is Memorial Day, so we'll speak about some of your colleagues who are no longer with us, but first, what could you tell us about the community of injured in Israel, those who are going through the aftermath like you did 
of um, you know a terrible injury and you know suffering for months or years. Maybe suffering is the wrong word. You could tell me if I'm right or wrong. But what would you, what can you tell us that we don't know about that community of people in Israel? So first of all, of course, the the community of uh, of injured veterans in Israel is immense. We're talking about more than fifty thousand people in Israel that are that that are injured or disabled veterans. Um, um, of those fifty thousand, there are about a thousand seven hundred who are severely injured. Uh, I myself am considered one of the severely injured. Severely injured would mean paralyzed pe- uh, veterans who are paralyzed, who lost uh, at least uh, two limbs, two or more limbs, uh, severe burns, and um, and blind. Those are those are considered the groups of severely injured and head injuries, of course. And um, so that uh, there are about a thousand seven hundred of those uh, of those people who, for you know, for the severely injured. Life is a struggle, a very big struggle. It's uh, it it impacts uh, one's life in a way far beyond what we might think naturally. You know, um, even myself when I woke up in the hospital one day, and I kind of like I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get the the impact of what I went through. When I was in high school, I was in Israel. I was a uh, a volunteer for Magen David Adom. So I was in, you know, I was in the ambulances. And when I was injured, within half a minute from my injury, I understood what my injury, I I remembered what I learned in my medic course, and, and I, you understood and what I happened. said. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm seeing symptoms of a spinal cord injury over mm-hmm. here, and this is uh, and and what and and one of the first, and I'm telling you, this was in, within 30 seconds of this happening, and the first thought that came to my head after that was, how am I going to put my pants on in the morning, because. You hold your pants out and you put one leg in, and the second. So I was just wondering, what am I supposed to do now? And that's just a little thing, you know. There's a whole world that changes, and um, and yeah, it's uh, there's so many things on the day to day that we take for granted. You know, there's uh, that that uh, lots of people see, you know, an injury like mine even as, you know, the natural thing for someone to say is uh, the the walking thing, you know. Right. You'll dance at your wedding, these kinds of things, right? And and the truth is that that the things go far beyond the walking. Actually, you'd be surprised, but the walking is a lot less is is maybe the least most important, you know, or impactful thing in one's life. Um, uh, most of the guys uh, deal with a lot of it is just you know is is a is a self image thing and about and about relationship issues and you know and. Uh, and um and the ability or inability to work or to be you know a contribution to uh to society you have you have uh you have guys who are guys and girls of course also who are at the peak of their glory you know at when, when you know with running the battlefield holding the the flag of israel it doesn't matter by the way if it's israel or america you know or right. or the united states um, hold, really waving the flag of freedom and liberty and fighting and s- taking a stand for the people and just powerful people with integrity and with honor and in one second, you know, by, a, by fate and by chance or whatever it may be, all that changes in a single heartbeat and it's just taken away. 
And in the absence of that, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, I, I think we know it as the fall from glory. And the fall from glory, which is a very high place, the fall is a very painful fall when you hit the bottom. Very few, uh, not very few, you know, uh, there, there are guys who are able to, to um, resurrect themselves. And there are those that do not. I, I know that we have somewhat of an understanding of what we will and will not discuss this morning, so I, I hope that I'm not. Okay. By the I, way, am I, am, I, am I being vague, by the way? Or am I, am I being... Uh, I think you're being pretty direct. Okay, For good. anybody who's, right. who's in tune, I think they've got it. Okay, gotcha. We were, we were together outside a few minutes ago. Yeah. Was it disturbing to you when strangers offered their help to you? In the past, it was extremely disturbing for me. In the past, when I used to come to the ba- when I used to walk up to the bank, and people would see, you know, from, from the big glass windows of the bank, they would see me rolling up to the bank. Then it's like people would go, you know, it's like hysteria. They'd run to the door to open the door, and I would resent that. It would drive me nuts. Like I want to, uh, yeah, this that thing would drive me crazy. Because you know, and then and then two minutes later, some uh, you know an old lady can come and open the door, and nobody would open the door for her. So so th- there's like something that's, um, y- you know, it's funny. It's funny that you asked that. Just uh, we had after Passover, there was uh, Mimuna, you know. The, so so I was invited to a party after Passover. This is the eighth day of Pesach, right? Right, and and a very old family friend who threw the party, who hasn't seen me for years, he kind of sat down with me and. Uh, and um, before I came over, um, he asked, you know, uh, he invited me to the party, and I and I and I made sure that the party was accessible, that his house was accessible, and uh, and then he was told by someone else, you know, he said, yeah, sure, it's accessible, and co- we'll help you out. And then a, a friend of his said, no, you probably don't you don't know Ron well enough if if he, if he comes and. It, and he doesn't do the help thing. So uh, if he comes and uh, he won't, he just he'll leave. And this uh, if, he, if he can't, meaning if Ron can't do it yeah, himself, then, he then, will leave. Right. And uh, so he inquired about that, and he said, "Hey, what's the what's the deal with you know what's your problem with getting help?" And I said, "You know, I walk around this life, and this is this is another one of the impacts, by the way, of one of those hidden impacts of." Of what a what an injured veteran has to go through, right? Um, you know, we, I go through, uh, I uh, with, I uh, who I am is the same guy who was the tank commander who was leading men into battle. That's who I am. And yet, when I walk down the street, uh, that's not who I am for other people. That's mm-hmm. not what I show up as. What I show up as is something is you know is like a human being that needs to be you know that needs to be cared for, whereas I'm one who cares for others. Not 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 that I won't accept someone's care, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, happily. But um, so that's something that's there for other people, whether I like it or not. It's just a visual thing. Do you think the reaction would have been different downstairs if people did not assume you were a veteran? Because based on your dog tags, I think most people look and say, oh, this must be a, a veteran of war. No. I, no? No. It would no. have been the same. Yeah, I think I, th- I, pr- 
I, I, I can understand how you would see that because you know because you're very in tune, very in touch with this kind of stuff. So I see how you'd see that. But but generally, the public, uh, especially in America, the public don't. Right. There's nothing, you know. You've actually reached out to American soldiers who go through difficulties in their own right when uh, when they've been injured and have trouble either integrating into society or whatever variety of issues, which I'm sure there must be, that they have. How has that gone? How has that been fulfilling for you? Oh, it's been incredible. the The amazing thing is, and this is something that um, you know, Israelis are so recognized for their directness for their chutzpah, for their ingenuity, for their... Telling you know, it like it is. Right. And when I really dove into the American veteran community and became very... I became very uh, very active in the American veteran, veteran community, I just, I just discovered um, profoundly how, how much the American veterans were like Israelis. And I came to the conclusion that it's you know that's it's it's something that the military does, where it gets you really real and really direct, and and there's a bond that you know it's it's really amazing and um, it's really amazing how how uh, there's a reverence from the American veterans for Israel. It is just wild. If I could tell you how many times, just the other day, I sat in a taxi cab with two veterans. Okay. U.S. veterans. Two U.S. veterans in Washington, D.C. We were at a memorial there. And I got in a taxi cab with two American veterans. One of them was injured. Um, nice young lady. And, um, and they both told me, I've heard this so many times, they said, you know, I have a dream to volunteer for the IDF. They're not even Jews. In it, like, and, and there's just this incredible respect and honor for what the Israelis are doing uh, among the Americans. I heard that so many times. Have, have you prevented through talks and, uh, and, and displays of compassion, sincere compassion, have you prevented veterans, both in Israel and the United States, from doing some serious things, from, from getting to a place in their head and maybe even physically where they shouldn't be? Um, I don't know. I, I you know, I, let's put it this way: I haven't, I've never, I've never been told by a veteran specifically that uh, that you saved their life. Yeah, that I've saved their life. But I can tell you that I know, uh, I know that that happens all the time. Just a couple of days ago in Washington D.C., I was there. I flew my band out of L.A. to Washington D.C. to put on a show at the Hard Rock Cafe. What do we call your band? Um, it's just uh, you know, my band is my band. Okay. Yeah, I'm just um, I'm a solo artist. So Ron Wine Rich and Company. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, you're welcome, by the way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, so you're in Washington. I'm in Washington D.C. at the Hard Rock, and um, and there were a lot of there were a lot of veterans that were invited that that were uh, suicidal. But um, you know, it of course wasn't put out there. But we knew that we right. invited a lot of guys and girls who were suicidal. In fact, I don't know if people know this, but uh, and I think it's kind of off topic in Israel. You know, what? it's not off topic of Israel. But uh, every day, twenty-two the the number is twenty-two veterans commit suicide every single day in the United States of America. That's the number. Every single day, twenty-two veterans take their lives in the United States. And just yesterday, um, in the Haaretz newspaper in Israel, the the leading cause of death of soldiers in the IDF is suicide as well. 
as of today. And um, and this is a very big issue, very big issue. So we, at the Hard Rock in D.C., a couple of days ago, that's what we were addressing there. And the things that people deal with are, um, you know, are... Uh, are very real issues. You're so emotional and intense, uh, just in the few minutes that I know you, it seems to me that you are. I, I, I would have to suspect that some of the thoughts that were going through your mind in the weeks and months subsequent to your own injury, the way you described it, must have been frightening, must have been all over the place, so to speak. I had, uh, I'll tell you what, so... S- because my injury was um was a pretty big one i was under under the cloud of the painkillers i had a lot of painkillers in me so i wasn't really 100% together cognitively and i was very lucky that you know i don't know where it, where you know where it's from uh i actually i actually very much uh you know give the credit much of the credit to god i was very lucky to be able to snap out of it and to come to to come to the choice to that turning point and realization Fork in the road yeah and to take the right path i remember one day after they took me off the painkillers after about 2 months you know laying down in a hospital room by myself and suddenly just being impacted being present to the impact of my friends who I lost and my situation right now, you know, what I was two months ago, this like Superman, powerful, you know, want to like just eat the whole world up kind of thing. And now I'm this literally like this, like a, a, like a broken tool, you know, like, like I used to be a hammer and now I'm a broken hammer. What, what the heck do you do with a broken hammer? You throw it in the garbage, you know, you can't do anything with it. And, um, and uh and i was laying down in this bed just crying my eyes out like a 12 year old girl and at some point one of the nurses opened up the door and i was under the sheets i was like crying under the sheets and uh and uh a nurse opens the door a nurse that i really liked and she peeks in and she sees me and i felt so embarrassed and i was like i just thought to myself God, like, who are you? You're so pathetic. Like, shut up and get your, get yourself together. What's going on with you, man? Like, what do you make it such a big deal out of this thing? That I decided then. I said, okay, this is this is so pathetic that it's like this isn't even me. I don't know what overcame me. And I kind of declared this is going to be the lowest point in my life. And from here on in, I can only, you know, I can only rise and transcend from this point on. And I'm not going to let anything stop me. And um, and it's a choice. Because uh, everything, I think, in life, it really depends on what context I put it in. I can put myself in a context in which I feel empowered, you know, I want to, you know, just conquer this world in its wholeness or I can put myself in this empowering context which is just going to take everything away from me Sergeant First Class Ron Weinrich is in our studio injured in the 2006 Lebanon War today is Yom Hazikaron Israel Memorial Day uh, you mentioned that you have friends who are no longer with us 
Uh, it is, in fact, Memorial Day. Is there one in particular whose story you could share with us? Is there someone who today you are thinking of maybe even more than the others that you're thinking of on this Israel Memorial Day? Yeah, there is a very good friend of mine. Uh, his name is uh, Yaniv Temerson. Amazing guy from a moshav in the north of Israel called Sipori, named the moshav. And Yaniv was a, at the time he was a, when when the war broke out, about two weeks prior to the war breaking out, Yaniv, uh, we have a picture of him, I don't know if you can put it up on your site or something, but uh, if people would like to see it okay. at some point. Um, two weeks prior to the war breaking out, Yaniv uh, came to, to my company. And he was uh, just fresh out of tank commander's course. He was a junior tank commander. And I was a senior at the time. So he became kind of like, you know, he was kind of like under my wing. And I was showing him the ropes in the company. And um, a remarkable guy. He was like, a, he was a, from, a, from a moshav. So he grew up on a moshav, in a, you know, agricultural farming kind of uh, background. He was uh, his favorite thing was to uh, milk the cows and you know and clean the the uh, the poop, and he had great stories, very funny stories, huge smile, amazing, incredible guy, very smart, and um, and he was new in the company. At some point, you know, during the war, uh, he, my driver got uh, had some kind of stomach ulcer, and my driver needed to be replaced, my tank driver. And since Yaniv is tank commander, and tank commanders know how to do all of the professions in the in the tank crew, so I took Yaniv to be my driver. And when we entered into the you know, into Lebanon into the war, um, then um, you know we were together in this crew. And he drove for me that night. That night when I was leading a convoy, uh, you know, actually the the, the story actually goes where um, the whole battalion we met in Lebanon after about a month that we hadn't seen each other during the war. We were all very happy to see each other. And then I started walking around uh, between the guys and with a digital camera and I wanted to take war photos. So we had something to brag about when we went back home. <laughs> and, uh, and at some point, you know, Lebanon is just breathtakingly beautiful, that country. It is. Every time I'd look over the landscape, I'd think to myself, what the heck am I doing here? And why am I in a tank? And why I don't have a backpack on my back and I'm not just walking this land. Um, and I'm walking around with a digital camera and Yaniv says, hey, Ron, can you take a photo of me on the landscape? And I say, sure, you know, stand over there and I'm just about to take the picture. And I hear from over my shoulder, I hear someone yell, hey, wait up with that picture. And I turn around and I see it's the company commander, the captain. His name is uh, Gidi. And Giddy comes over and he has a smirk on his face and I'm asking him, what's so funny? And he says, he says, take a picture of me with Yaniv here and, um, and uh, make it a good picture because your lives are going to change after this. So I take a picture. It's a beautiful picture. And, um, and I say, okay, so what's up? What are you so happy about? And he says, well, as you know, last night, you know, the night before, Giddy's tank was hit by a missile. And though him and his crew were perfectly fine, but the tank was pretty badly damaged. And I was known for having the best tank in the battalion because I was a, uh, I had a kind of like a German work ethic when it came to uh, taking care of tanks. <laughs> so, um, uh, 
And so Giddy approaches me and he says, uh, so we're just going to do a little tank swap. You're going to take my piece of crap tank and go back to Israel and fix it, and I'm going to take yours. I was, of course, upset. But an order is an order, and that's what we did. And that night I found myself leading this convoy of his tank and a few others and all kinds of different vehicles back into Israel. And during that, and of course Yaniv was driving for me, I was leading this convoy through a, through a, a Lebanese village, you could imagine that um, you know Arabic villages aren't really built to withstand the width of a machine like a tank. Right. And so maneuvering in the villages was difficult. And in the middle of the village, suddenly another IDF convoy, unexpected, was coming up the same road. So I had to take my guys off of the road. And in the maneuvering, um, you know, kind of like when you parallel park your car, you need, you need to maneuver it between two cars. Right forward backwards forward backwards but never really touching the cars well we hope that we don't mm-hmm. touch the cars and um so in maneuvering my tank tank commander sticks his head out the top of the tank and looks around because from inside it's very hard to maneuver for the driver so i give through internal communications that commander gives orders to the driver so i'm telling yaniv yaniv okay uh driver back driver stop driver back and left driver stop driver forward and right driver stop so we're doing this thing, and I look and I give him the order, driver back, and the tank starts driving backwards. And I turn my head backwards and stick it out the top of the tank to look where I'm going, and I see that there's a large concrete structure, an arch behind the tank that we're heading towards, which is okay because we're going to stop before we, you know. And when I get close to it, I say, okay, driver, stop, and I see that the tank isn't stopping. I say, driver, stop. And it's not stopping. And I yell again. I, you know, I, I look back. I see it coming close. And I say, driver, stop. Yaniv, stop. And I get that he can't hear me. Something's wrong. He can't hear me. So I quickly jump into the tank and I find what's the problem with the communications. And the second that I fix it, I feel a rumble in the tank. And I think, okay. So we hit the building. Like, no big deal. Cosmetic damages. Nothing's going to happen. But... What I wasn't expecting was that the building would collapse on top of the tank and a few tons of concrete would come through the hatch above my head and uh, pretty much just uh, crush me. And um, and in that, I stayed conscious throughout the whole thing, and that's a story within itself. But, um, but Yaniv being the big, strong, bulky, strapping guy that he was, and also being a commander himself, immediately jumped into action. And um, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I I couldn't, I could barely breathe. I was really, I was struggling to keep myself together. To, to uh, I I felt like if I would lose consciousness, then I probably wouldn't wake up. And so I was really struggling to just focus on keeping myself conscious. And I remember thinking to myself, thank God that he's here. You know, like I like if he wasn't here, I don't know if I'd be able to get out of this thing alive. So he pretty much evacuated me. He got me out of the tank. And. Um, and they put me in a helicopter, and I fly to the Rambam Hospital in Haifa. And I wake up on the helicopter. I blacked out. I wake up in the intensive care unit. And I look to when I wake up, I see um, beside my on my bedside. I'm connected to all kinds of you know machines and God knows what. I, and um, on my bedside, I see my gunner and my loader in each. So just for two of the three colleagues that you have in the tank, right? So in in every tank, there's a tank commander and three crewmen, right? Additional crewmen. So two of my three guys are standing by my bedside, 
and you know the only thing I can really move is my right arm my left arm was crushed also and um, and uh, their names are Chen and Chen Veitzchak those were my loader and my gunner and I wake up and I see them and I say hey guys what's going on and, and this and that and and they say, uh, you know, they were, they were of course upset and everything. I said, no, it's no big deal. And um, I said, you know, I'm alive. That's what's important. And um, you know, I'm the guy who I have some responsibility for everything happened. You know, don't feel guilty for anything. It's, you know, it's my, my, I was running the show. And uh, there was one guy missing, which was Yaniv. And I asked him, where's Yaniv? And uh, and they say he's over there. And I kind of. You know, I kind of, at the, really out of the corner of my eye, because I had a neck brace on, I couldn't move my head. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Yaniv standing in the very far corner of the intensive care unit. And I thought to myself, you know, he probably feels very guilty since he was driving it. He probably thinks that this is because of him. Mm-hmm. So I kind of signaled to him with my fingers to come over. And he comes over and immediately couldn't look me in the eye of any he says I'm so sorry for I said oh no what are you talking about this has nothing to do with you like absolutely has nothing to do with you this was it was my call I was calling the shots and I should have you know I should have uh, seen this coming and this is the price that I have to pay for uh, it's just how it is and uh, at some point I I blacked out and um, they went back to the war within a week I think the war had been the ceasefire was signed with Hezbollah and I was after major surgery recovering from my surgery I was also already transferred to a different hospital war was over the whole country in Israel was you know rejoicing and coming to visit and to strengthen the soldiers the injured and soldiers and moving back up north yeah a lot of people had left the north exactly and it was a great, you know, it, it was it was like a time of like a lot, the country, everybody really banded together. It was beautiful. And and I was going through this, you know, I, of course, again, I was very, I was on a lot of drugs. I was in a lot of pain. And people were just, bum- every day, every minute of every single day were the people walking in and out of my hospital room to come and strengthen me. You know, Yeshukoach, Yeshukoach, I wanted to throw up already from all the Yeshukoach. <laughs> and, um... And uh, and at some point, this you know this young soldier walks into my room. Two weeks after, walks into my room. I I didn't recognize him because he was really new in the company. Like he wasn't even with us in the war, so he was really new. And he comes to visit me, and he said, I, "We don't know each other, but I heard so much about you and this and that." And I, you know, of course, I was just I was just kind of blowing him off. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Everything's good. Don't worry about me." And then he says, "Yeah, and uh, it's such a shame, you know, with." Uh, and, and I say, no, it's not a shame. This is this is just, you know, it's how it is. Don't worry about me. I'm good. He's like, no, it's a shame. Like with the Aniv. I said, I said, excuse me. And out of, cor- out of the corner of my eye, I see my mother just waving her hands like, like. Keep uh, your mouth shut. Yeah, keep your mouth shut. And then I go, and then I felt a feeling which I've never felt in my life. I felt like, uh, like. Um, I can't even explain it in words, but I, I felt like uh, like I lost everything because, and and I asked and I said, what's going on here? Uh, and I and you know I, 
I was very angry at the time, so excuse the listeners. I told my mom to shut up. I said, shut up, and I looked at the soldier, and I said, what are you talking about? And um, and then my mom stepped in and she said, my mother said, uh, well, the night, you know, the night that you were injured, um, y- Yaniv, you know, the crew and Yaniv came to visit you at the hospital. It was actually my request. Okay. Um, that that night before they came to the hospital, my general heard that I was, he was injured himself in a different hospital. He was laying in a different hospital. He gave me a call on my cell phone. So I, and I was like half dead and they give me the cell phone put up against my ear and um, and uh, the general said I heard that you were injured I said yeah he said is there anything I could do for you and I said well I remember that my crew was very worried and stressed can you make sure that they can come and see me just so they can see that I'm alive and I'm okay and so my crew ended up coming and that's when I met Yaniv and my guys so my mom says that night uh, your guys, your crew went, you know, they went and the tank was fixed. And that night after they left the hospital, they went back uh, into Lebanon. And uh, and um, Yaniv was killed by an anti-tank missile that night when he replaced you as the commander of that tank. And, um, and I just thought to myself, Yaniv and, and, and what about Khan and Yitzhak? And she said, "No, no, they're they're fine. Nothing happened to them. The uh, the missile actually the missile missed the tank, and and uh, flew over the tank. But Yaniv was in the wake of the missile, and uh, he was killed. And um, and he was really a remarkable guy, unbelievable guy, and yeah." So that's the answer to the question of who especially you're thinking of on this Yom Hazikaron. Yeah. Sergeant First Class Ron Weinrich is here in our studio. It's Israel Memorial Day. We spoke about the uh, those who have fallen and the impact that uh, Yaniv's uh, fate had on you is obvious. And I'm sure so many people in Israel are going through the same thing. No family not touched by these uh, by these episodes. But on the subject of family, and we've pointed out that there are close to 10,000 families that have been affected over the decades of Israel's existence. Um, What was family like for you? How supportive and how important were your parents and others in getting you through this whole process? Well, I can tell you that I'm a very privileged guy that I have. An incredible family that's very loving, and I have incredible friends who are also who s- stick by my side always. Um, my family, though, was uh, was let, let's I I still think to this day that it's you know ironically the injury is actually harder on the family than it is on the person, and uh, and that kind of perpetuates the families sometimes make the injury harder than it is. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure that anybody who's a parent can you know can can see themselves that you know if something would happen to their child how upsetting that would be for them and um and i al- i always felt that and with me actually in terms of the dynamics of my family the the dynamics there were that uh i did have a lot of difficulty with my parents my mother was devastated beyond belief and my mother's been she's a trooper she's been through a lot in her life she she's lost you know two babies um, her first two babies uh, she lost 
Um, and her third child, uh, my older brother, uh, was born extremely uh, prematurely and uh, undeveloped today. He's an amazing guy. I love him to death, and and he's amazing. But at the time, she, you know, she just she really muscled through that, and um, and then when this happened to me, it really it devastated her. Um, and she kind of she kind of checked out. She didn't she didn't know how to be. Um, with me she couldn't really be with me she what she did of course she was there for me she did everything in her power to support me um but uh you know that issue of a mother seeing her son again from being this glorious guy to suddenly being broken is uh something that she was very hard for her to get over and for my father who was uh and and with my father i had other issues which were that he was um uh you know he my father's an, an amazing man and he he's the kind of guy that always uh you know unstoppable doesn't make a big drama or a big fuss about anything and uh so he didn't want to make a big drama or a big fuss out of anything but in that also what i was going through was disregarded so you have to remember that I was, uh, you, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that every adult, uh, you know, once once you have your parents around for, you know, more than a few hours, and so, for most people it gets kind of overwhelming. So I had my parents around for a few months, all day, every single day, in front of my face, in my room, always just in my face all the time. Can we do this? Can we do that? I, I was going to go nuts. And I actually asked them at some point, I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to make this request of you. I really need you guys to not be here anymore. I need you to, to like leave me alone. I can't. I, I I said it like this. I said I don't. I don't mean to be offensive, but I can't look at your faces anymore. It's driving me nuts. And my mother respected that, and she, you know, she gave me space. My <laughs> my father at the time said, "Oh, you're talking a bunch of crap. You don't know what you're talking about, and this and that." And then he <laughs> sat in front of me. That created a, a, a breakdown of a different kind. <laughs> Let's put it this way: I showed him at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy. Uh, what about the family of Yaniv and all the others? What is today like for them? You've been through many Yemei Hazikaron in Israel. Yes. Uh, you know what it's like for the nation, for the people. You know what the feelings are as the siren sounds and as the twenty-four hours commence. Um, what can you tell us about what those families go through today and are going through at this moment? So just to, just, you know, since we started talking about Yaniv, then I'll tell you guys that, that the first time that I was ever going to, to Yaniv's family, I was scared to death. I had this, I had this, you know, this notion after my injury, I became, you know, I was on the news. They did these pieces about me and about this and the inspirational story of Ron Wyatt, blah, 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 you know, whatever, whatever. You watched them or you didn't watch them? Huh? You watched them or you not, didn't watch them? Um, or with half an eye? <laughs> yeah, I watched them. I watched them with half an eye because, you know, it's uh, because, of course, you know, TV makes everything more dramatic than it is. And uh, and because they they were always pushing this hero thing, which again I told you in the beginning that I just don't uh, it doesn't resonate with me. Um, and I always felt like you know here here I am, my life was spared, and you know 
and my you're friends, walking into their home. My friend's life, he kind of he kind of replaced me. Right. You know. Another thing, by the way, that I have to tell you is that uh, is that a week prior to that, a week prior to that happening, my brother was supposed to get married. Um, about he he did get married two weeks after my injury. And it was a big issue in our family that uh, we were very happy that that was happening. And I remember sitting by my beside my tank in the middle of the war one day, and I got a newspaper. Someone brought me a newspaper, and I saw the date. And I said, oh, crap, here we go. My, my brother's going to get married in like three weeks. And I remember sitting with myself and kind of uh, and having this mini conversation with God, and I said, God, I don't know, I don't really, you know, this is a really big thing. I really want my brother to be happy and... I don't know if you're, you know, what your plans are, but if you're planning on killing me anytime soon during this whole thing, then could you do me a favor and just injure me severely instead of killing me? And uh, the rest is history, right? So I had this, uh, I had this story that I was like, how do I walk into, into Yaniv's In house? house? And one day I said, I have to face this. And I drive up on, I don't remember if it was the day, if it was Yom Zikaron, like today, or if it was the you know, the, the one year to his death, or the two years to his death, right. can't recall. And, um, and I drive up to his home, and his whole family, and all the friends, and all the people from the Moshav are there, and it's like a big thing. And I walk in, I, I roll into the, you know, into the garden, into the in front of the house and everybody's sitting outside on plastic you know chairs and everything and immediately i hear the whispering every everybody just starts whispering like you know like he's here yeah oh he's here this is that's the guy that's the guy this that i was like oh my god here we go and this and then yaniv's mother walks up to, uh, uh before yaniv's mother walks up to me people start walking up to me and they come and they crying and they hug me and they say thank you and I didn't I had no clue um, I didn't get it like what's going on and then they introduced me to Yaniv's mom this beautiful woman walks out of the house big beautiful eyes huge smile and she like borderline delirious smile and walks up to me gives me this huge hug she says I'm so happy that you're here and she gives me this wonderful hug and she says, and she says, thank you. And I say, I say, thank you for what? And she tells me, because of you, I was able to say goodbye to my son. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, Yaniv wasn't, wasn't around for a month during the war. And since you asked, you know, since you specifically requested that for they that come and see you, then they came to visit you. And from the hospital, back to the border, to the tank. He went to Tsipori. He he passed by a gas station, <laughs> you know, and he called up his mom and he said, Mom, I have 10 minutes to meet up with you for a cup of coffee. Just wanted to say hi. And they made up at the gas station and they sat down for 10 minutes. And when he, and after those 10 minutes, when he walked away, I, and by the way, the crew, my crew who were waiting for him, they were standing by the Jeep and waiting for him to finish with his mom. They said that it was like a scene from a movie. 
They said when he got up and walked back, they, they all say it's like time moved in slow motion. Like the scene from Armageddon when the whole crew, you know, walks in slow motion like this is the last thing. They said that was it. His mother said when when he got up and he walked away, she said, I had a feeling that it was the last time I'm going to see my son. And um, and uh, and in the most you know odd way, they were very happy and very thankful for that. Unbelievable. Yeah. I apologize because it, it, <laughs> I, I have spent so much. You have spent so much time with us, uh, and I am so fascinated by this conversation that we're likely not going to get to any of the live music that we were thinking of. But I would love to at least play something of yours. It, it, it's it's Eurovision season in Israel, correct? Isn't it now the Eurovision contest? It is contest? Eurovision, yeah. And you had something to do with Eurovision, correct? And you were were you entered in it once? Or? I was I was competing, uh, yeah, to be to represent Israel in the Eurovision. How long ago was that? I think that was uh, four years ago, maybe. And uh, you, we have a recording, and people can find it on YouTube, of you actually singing Vihisha Amda, which is a very popular song with this audience. Yes. What led to you being a vocalist on this What's become a traditional Passover tune? It's just a song that I love, and I love uh, one of my favorite artists in the world is probably Yonatan Razel, uh. who arranged this, and I love it. And I've, I've actually had the great privilege of singing it with him on stage in Yerushalayim as a duet. And um, and it was just Passover, so I just thought about it would be a great idea if we just uh, give our people a little bit of... Uh, Let me play this for the audience before we say goodbye. Go for it. If you don't mind. Uh, Sergeant First Class Ron Weinrich in our studio on a very special Israel Memorial Day at JM in the AM. Dos Pau, Matilei, 
Sergeant First Class Ron Weinrich is in our studio. He sings Vahisha Amdan, a whole bunch of other great material, including that uh, duet we did earlier um, with the song with the words of uh, General Avigdor Kahalani. Check it all out. Uh, he's got a big presence on YouTube, social media, etc., etc. Tomorrow night, he'll be in Washington, D.C. to celebrate Yom Ma'ut, Israel's Independence Day. Tell me about the transition. Tell me about what will happen a few hours from now in Israel when the mood that you've helped us describe over the last hour turns into a very celebratory one. Is it easy or difficult to make that transition at the snap of a finger and start celebrating Israel's 68th birthday? I think that for me, um, it isn't something that... I, I think it's one of the most beautiful and symbolic things in, you know, for our people, that transition. Um, and that said... Uh, you know, it's great that we can celebrate, but the families of the fallen are, uh, you know, that transition is going to be ever so painful and profound to make that transition. If they ever do, I'm not sure that they do. And, um, you know, there are, uh, there are parents and families at the end of the day and children who, who this day for them is, um, Yom Zikaron is, is, is very impactful. It's huge. And, um, and it's, uh, it, it, it really puts things in perspective. And it really also puts things in question. You know, what are we up to? Who are we as a people? Who are we as a, as a society? Um, do we really care about these things outside of Yom Zikaron? I know many of my, uh, you know, many of my friends who even resent Yom Zikaron because... Where's everybody the rest of the year? Yeah. They just, yeah. It may be a risk asking you this question, but I get a feeling that, it, that it's not, and therefore I will ask you the following. There are likely young men and women listening right now in this audience who have thoughts about entering the Israeli army and defending the land and state of Israel and expressing their incredible Zionistic values and what they've been taught and how they've been raised over the years and have have those feelings be manifested in that manner what would you what what positive message can you give them today as they ponder their future the only thing that i would say about that is that if it's something that you want to do then do it and that stop pondering. There's nothing to ponder here. Because um, 
if there's anything that, if the danger or the risk is something that is an issue that you're pondering about, then I assure you that it's more risky to cross the street because you might get run out. You know, getting run over by a bus would be it would be a higher risk. And yet, taking a stand and living into something that is much bigger than ourselves, I think personally, and it's my just my own thoughts. Is uh, I think that's where the meaning of life really is, because um, because uh, I can at least tell you for myself that. Uh, if I couldn't, you know, if if I couldn't live for someone else, if I couldn't live for my country, and for you know trying to make the world a little bit better, then um, then I don't know what value I would bring to this world um, and what my life would be worth if not for that. So if you are listening to this and you do want to, you know, you are thinking of going to the IDF, then on a spiritual level, I think that it is uh, one of the highest callings, and I think it's. Uh, it's one of the most amazing things that you know that we can do for our people on a practical level um, and I know this is an issue in America especially with the uh, whole issue of you know should I go to college and then should I do this or should I do that and career schmarier yeah that's uh, uh, different discussion yeah the truth is that uh, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna be left behind and if anything the practically what you will get for yourself as a human being on so many levels out of being in the military is something that's priceless and that is way beyond anything that you can get out of academia or any other course or anything like that and i uh, recommend 100 percent. despite the fact that we disagree about your inclusion in the category of heroism nonetheless it was an absolute honor and privilege to meet you this morning and have you here and to have you really enhance our Israel Memorial Day. We're 6,000 miles away. I'm proud to say that we're one of the few outlets that is spending this type of time and effort remembering those who have fallen in Israel. I appreciate you guys having me and uh, and uh, and you having me specifically. I really appreciate it. And um, and if there's one last sentence that I can say about uh, Yom on Memorial Day, it's really um, just ask yourself, uh, if you're listening to this, I re- I'm really inviting you just to ask yourself, um, beyond sharing things on Facebook and talking about it with our friends, what are we really doing in order to bring peace in our time? What are we really doing in order to... What action are we taking in order to make uh, you know a better future for ourselves and for the people that we love? And um, if the answer is not much, then that's okay. So it's a good time, especially today, in the shadow of our friends who have fallen, who have sacrificed, to uh, put ourselves out on the line and let's make something happen. Let's put some some action into reality. And uh, that's my invitation. Thank you very much, Kola Kavod, and um, enjoy the celebration tonight and tomorrow. Thank you. As Israel celebrates its 68th birthday, you are listening to JM and the AM on this Yom Hazikaron. Oh.